Well, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time of day it is when you may be tuning in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is Lesson 7 of our Bema Seat, where we're looking at the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. Our title of our series is called Beaming at the Bema, and we are in Lesson 7 today. And I want to just take a brief time just for a quick review what we have talked in earlier lessons about what this event is, what it's all about. We've talked about who it is for, who it's not for. We've talked about who will be there and who will not be there. We've discussed how the focus of this is on accounting for stewardship and the rewards are granted for faithfulness at this event. Now, I want to just point out one thing here that I, I pointed out in the last episode about several different types of ministry work that we do for the Lord's service that would be rewarded. And one of the main ones that I, I didn't think about at that particular moment, but I do want to stress, and that is any ministry that's done for the Lord, it, it covers all, but that includes even parenting and grandparenting. Sometimes we don't understand the eternal significance of raising our children or our grandchildren and investing in them for the kingdom of God's sake. And that is just as much a ministry of service to the Lord that we will be held accountable for and grant um, and have to account for our stewardship of and be granted rewards for as any other ministry or service. It's just as important, if not perhaps even more so, than a job of a pastor or a worship leader or, or a teacher or those who go out and serve in soup kitchens or whatever it is. You may be serving the Lord in many ways, but one of the greatest ways that each and every one of us can serve the Lord and bear eternal fruit that remains that we will be rewarded for is in reference to our families, in putting into our families, pouring into them of the things of God, causing them to know Jesus, raising up children or grandchildren for the kingdom of God's sake to, so that they will come to know Jesus as their own personal Lord and Savior. This is very, very important. And God will reward even people who have, who have righteously grown up and raised up their children and their grandchildren. God will reward those who have been, he has gifted and entrusted with children or grandchildren for them to care for and for them to raise up. That is a very, very important job. So we will not in any way belittle that, but rather I pray that you will take this to heart and you will be sure that you are stewarding your parenting gift from the Lord. You are treasuring your children. You are loving them. You are caring for them and you are teaching them and training them to know Jesus and to follow him and to have a real growing and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. So don't take that for granted. That is an important gift of service also 
and that God is noting how we are handling our stewardship of our children and grandchildren, and he will reward us for those eternal fruits. In the last couple of lessons, we also looked at how these works that we do, these, these areas of service that we offer will be tested. They will be tested by the fire. And we saw that what stands the test of the fire, which will be the gold, silver, and precious stones, is what will be granted a reward for. We will be rewarded for those things. And what is burned up in the fire, which would be the wood, hay, and straw category, those things are lost, and there could be regrets for that. And I believe there will be regrets for that. But the person is still saved. So I want to pick up from there and move a little bit more forward into regrets and rewards. And we're going to cover the regrets today and begin to look at the issue of rewards, but we will really tackle the bulk of rewards in the next lesson, lesson eight. But in lesson seven today, I just want as a brief review to go back for a few moments and just cover the basic scriptures that are foundational for this study, beginning with the very basic foundational scripture that we began the entire study with, and that is found in 2 Corinthians 5.10. And in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul writes this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, which is the Bema seat, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And in that sense and in that context, the word bad there is talking about useless. In other words, the wood, hay, and straw that will be burned up that have no eternal value. Then I want to look at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15. I'm going to actually begin reading in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. In other words, whether it's in which category it's in, wood, hay, and straw, or gold, silver, and precious stone. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, endures what? The testing of the fire. If it lasts, if it's of the gold, precious stone, and silver category. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, meaning it was of the wood, hay, and straw category, he will suffer loss. 
but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Paul is telling us here that there will be the two categories. We've covered that. Some works will stand the test of the fire and some will be burned up. Let's look at these very briefly, especially the category of if they fell into the works being burned up. Now, Paul even mentions, he says, if there was someone there that had zero works that will stand the fire, if everything will be burned up and there's nothing left, then yes, that person will suffer loss. But the person themselves is still saved because that person has believed on Jesus Christ. You see, works and our stewardship of our works is not a salvation issue. The salvation issue for every single believer centers on the cross of Jesus Christ and who you say Jesus is. If you declare like Peter did, you are the Son of God, you are Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God, and we can make that declaration. And we are born again by the Spirit of the living God, repentant of our sin, asking God to forgive us, washed of our sins, and our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then we will be at that event, period. And no one at that event will be cast into hell. That's not what this is about. This is not about salvation. But it is about what we do in this life and how we will stand before God and give an account of what we did or did not do, and whether it was of the wood, hay, and straw category or the gold, silver, and precious stone. So let's consider if there was someone there that had zero works, none. All were burned up in the fire. Now, I don't know who that person might be, and I don't know for certain exactly if there is any example in the scripture. However, there is one that very possibly may fit into that category. And I want to read about that person right now, because I want you to see the promise that even if all the works are burned up and there's nothing that will stand the test of the fire, the person is still saved. And I want to read from Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to read verse 39 through 43. This is when Luke is writing the account of Jesus hanging on the cross. And Luke says this, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Now, I want to consider the thief on the cross because he was not saved until that moment. He's hanging on the cross, dying for, for the payment of what he had done wrong in society, his thievery, his robbery, whatever it was that he had done. And he's not even named. We don't even know who he is. We'll get to meet him one day, but we don't know who he is now. We don't even know his name. But we know that when he's hanging on the cross, somehow he had, he was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and recognized who Jesus was and that he was a sinner. But this man, Jesus, was not. And he called out. Somehow the Spirit of God convicted him and made him aware and drew him to the Father through calling upon Jesus for his own salvation. And he called out. He was the, we call him the repentant thief. And the other was the non-repentant thief. And so this thief cries out to Jesus, gets saved on his deathbed, so to speak. He's dying on the cross, has only perhaps moments or maybe hours left to live. This probably happened early in the day. Jesus died at 3 p.m. They want to get the everybody off the crosses that day so that, you know, the high Sabbath is coming up and they, they want to get them down. So they break everybody else's legs, which means that they're going to asphyxiate and suffocate to death very quickly. So within the final hours of this man's life, he had nothing he could offer the Lord. He had nothing he could do. The only thing that I can even think of that's a possibility that he could have done is perhaps prayed while he was hanging on that cross, maybe for his family or others he was leaving behind. I don't know, and I can't answer that. And it will only be in that day at the Bema seat that we will find out if there was anything this thief did. But let's consider the fact that it appears, at least from Scripture, that he would fall into the category of having zero works, every work being burned up. There'd be nothing that would be left after the fire of testing. Yet, I want to focus on this. The promise Jesus gave him was assuredly, in other words, you can bank on it. I guarantee you, you today, I say to you today, this very day, because of your confession of faith in me, your repentant heart, I receive you to myself. And today you will be with me in paradise. Now that man, when he stands at the beam of seat of Jesus Christ, among all of the rest of us, when we are there and we are all together, because the Bible says every Christian must appear before the beam of seat of Jesus Christ. And there would be nothing left after the fire. Yet that man can still rejoice because his name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life on that day on the cross. And he has been with Jesus since then and will continue for eternity to be a member of Jesus' family. That's what Paul is talking about when he says we're going to appear before the beam of seat of Christ and he says the fire is going to test everything. There'll be some works 
that will make it through the fire for certain people, and there'll be rewards for those, but there may be some there where nothing remains after the fire. Yet the joy is that person, that soul is still saved. That person is still a part of the family of God and will be with the Lord forever. That is the thing that I wanted to point out and stress to you. There it was, a promise and a guarantee of salvation, period, even if no works remain. There will be regrets. Oh, I'm sure there will be. And I believe that every every born-again believer will probably leave there or suffer some degree of regrets. Because no matter who we are, and no matter what we have or have not done for the Lord, there's always going to be some way that we missed it. We may have missed an opportunity. We may have done it in the flesh and not in the right spirit. There's lots of reasons why there would be regrets. There will be regrets. I believe that. But there will be no despair. Because salvation is not based on our works. It is not based on our works prior to salvation. In other words, you cannot ever do enough good You cannot ever give enough charity. You cannot ever serve enough people. There is nothing at all that you can do that would ever be good enough or uh, enough that could save you. That's why Jesus had to come. If that were, if that had been true, Jesus would never have had to come. So beloved friend, know this. Your salvation is not based on your works to get you saved, and your salvation is not based on works you do after you're saved. That's not what your salvation is based on. But what you will be rewarded for based upon your faithfulness is the works that we do and whether they last the test of the fire. That's the point. The works become proof positive of true salvation. And I want to show you that from the scripture as well. All Christians should have good works that glorify God, not because we're trying to earn some reward, but it's because we're abiding in him. Let me read you from Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43, Luke writes, And he's quoting Jesus. Jesus is speaking here. And Jesus says this, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I also want to read a couple of verses out of the book of John. In John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus is speaking and he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And then in verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit 
and that your fruit should remain. Remain what? After the testing of the fire, that your fruit would be eternal fruit that is of gold, precious stone, and silver nature. And it remains after the fire of testing. And Jesus continues on. He says that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you because your motives will be pure. Your prayers will be pure and they will be for God's purposes and for God's kingdom's sake. So the fruit, the works, are proof positive of true salvation. And they are done by every Christian in order to glorify God by our acts of service. So the regrets and the fire will burn up the work, the fruit that does not remain. That's what he's talking about here. Those works, the fruit that does not remain would be in the wood, hay, and straw category. That after the fire test, they're going to be completely burned up. The fruit that does remain is going to be the gold, silver, and precious stone category. So there, even though there will be a regrets, there is still that salvation that's guaranteed. And we need to understand that our desire and the Lord's desire for us is that we will not have to experience those regrets, but rather that we will be able to receive the rewards. So I want to move on now to talking about briefly some of the rewards that are promised in Scripture. And we're going to look more into these in the next lesson as we look at some things that may actually be the rewards that we are granted. So first of all, I want us to look at a few places. Jesus speaks of the rewards many times in the Gospels. We're going to begin looking at Matthew chapter 5, and I want to read verses 3 through 10. And these we know them to be, we typically call them the Beatitudes. Notice in verse 3, Jesus speaks and he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking here about things and, and ways that we are, character, nature, etc., and consequences or what will uh, result, the effect of that. Then going on in verse 11, notice this. He says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus starts off here and he gives us, this is one of his earliest sermons that he delivers. And he tells us that there's going to be a great and special, specific reward 
for those who are ridiculed and, and persecuted for Jesus' sake, for his name's sake. When we are persecuted because we are Christians, when we are ridiculed or, or reviled because of being a Christian, or for those who even must be martyred for their faith, martyred as Christians, there is a special reward. Jesus even calls it a great reward that will be granted to those. Then in verse 43 through 46 of that same chapter, he says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So in other words, he's saying here that loving even those who hate us, those that have mistreated us and spitefully have used us, will receive a reward. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, there is the promise of a reward for giving of offerings and help to the poor. I want to read verse 4, and it says this, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly or conspicuously. It will be made manifest then in verse 5 and 6, you see the same thing about praying. He says this in verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, in other words, get alone, close off everything that would distract you, and he says to pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And then if you go down to 16 through 18 of that same chapter, he's talking there about fasting. And he says this in verse 18, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So there's promise of certain types of rewards for giving of offering and help to the poor praying and interceding here, and fasting as an act of obedience and service in the honor of our Lord. Then in Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 through 41, Jesus is speaking again, and he says this, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So receiving God's people and his ministers will bring a reward. Now that can be in a variety of ways. It may be in hospitality, perhaps in receiving them into your home and you know, providing meals or a place of lodging. It might be taking in and welcoming them, welcoming 
the message that they are bringing from the Lord, true ministers of the Lord who will bring the true word of God. It may mean receiving them in the sense of learning from them and acknowledging them as servants of the Lord. But there is a promise here of a particular type of reward for receiving God's people and those who are truly his ministers. Then in verse 42 of that chapter, he says this, And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. There's another place that speaks of the cup of cold water in Mark chapter 9. Verse 41, I want to read this one to you as well. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Notice, this is the promise of a reward for giving someone who is a thirsty, who needs it, who is serving the Lord, you're doing it as unto the Lord, you give a cup to one of these least ones, one of these, one of Jesus' followers in honor of him to bless them, one cup to one person, and you will not lose your reward. Beloved friend, I really want to stress that because sometimes we can belittle our service because we see the massive need around the world. We see a massive need to feed others, to help the homeless, to serve those who are underprivileged or, or who have no food or who need water to drink. Maybe, you know, maybe it's someone that's, that's working out in the, in the heat or whatever in their ministry, in their service. And we can see great need all over the world. And yet sometimes we can belittle what we can do because we're focused on what we can't do. What I mean by that is that we might not be able to reach the masses. We not, might not be able to provide water for everyone in a thirsty land. But Jesus says that he promises a reward for giving one cup to someone who is thirsty in his name. One cup to some of his ministers as a service and a blessing to them in his name. One cup to one person. Every one of us can reach one person. And most of us can reach more than one, even if we can't reach thousands. We could probably reach one or five or 10 or 20 or 50. Whatever we can do in the service of the Lord, Jesus will honor it and he will take note of it. He promises a reward for one cup to one person. So beloved friend, I believe there's there must be angels. I don't know who's writing these things down, but somebody in heaven is constantly busy with inventory because they're making note of all of these things for our Lord, and he promises a reward for every one of them. Praise God. Then in Luke chapter 6, 
Verse 35, Jesus is speaking and he says this, But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. So in this context, he's speaking of being good and kind to those who may hate you, those who may not be able to pay you back, or even those who might be unfaithful and evil and may never pay you back because they maybe got it by trickery or whatever. And Jesus says, if you will treat them in the way that I'm telling you to treat them, if you will love them and care for them, whether they ever pay you back or not, you will not lose your reward. So there's the promise of a reward for that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, there's another promise of reward. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So in other words, what Paul is telling us here is that there is a reward promised for any and all who input into a person's life for the kingdom of God's sake. Now, in this case, he's talking about maybe Maybe he went out and preached the gospel and they got saved. So he might have ministered to the lost people and gotten them saved. Maybe Apollos then comes along and he says Apollos watered. Maybe Apollos was the one that was teaching that group of believers that were brand new about Jesus and about the word of God and building them up and helping them to become a great disciple of the Lord and grow in Jesus Christ. So Paul is telling us here, whatever level of input you have along the way in a person's journey with Jesus, there is a reward promised you for that. Whether you're the one who planted or whether you're the one who watered or cultivated along the way or whether you're the one who reaped, there's a promise of a reward all along the way for everyone who inputs into a person's life on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 15 through 18, Paul writes this. He says this, he's talking to the Corinthians. He says, but I've used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So here, Paul is talking about obeying what God has called us to do and doing it willingly and without any desire or greediness for gain. Paul says, I'm, I'm preaching it to you free of charge. 
And if I don't preach it willingly, then I don't even get a reward for it. But I'm still going to answer for it one way or the other, whether I do it willingly or not. God's entrusted it to me and I've got to be a good steward. I will answer for it one day. So Paul here is telling us that if we obey what God has called us to do and we do it willingly and for the right motive, then there will be a reward granted for that. Let us not try to make money off of the things of God that is evil and it is an abomination. None of us should ever be caught doing that. But rather we need to obey and do what God has called us to do and to do it willingly in service to him and he will then reward us. In Colossians chapter 2, I want to read verses 16 through 19. It says this, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So here Paul is writing the Colossians, and he tells them to preserve your reward because of your faith and obedience to Jesus in freedom from traditions and regulations of men and of the world. If you read the earlier part of that, you will see that the context is in reference to those who were trying to bring in and add to the freedom in Christ and add to the gospel of Jesus Christ and their living for him. They wanted to draw them in to also keeping of traditions and regulations and bring upon them you know, all the rites and rituals that they thought they should have. And these traditions and regulations are of men and of the world. And Paul is saying here, no, you don't let anybody judge you in that. You live for Jesus Christ and don't let anyone cheat you out of your reward. So there is an act that we need to be cautious about in preserving the reward that God has in store for us. In Colossians chapter 3, I want to read, as we draw to a close here, I want to read in verse 23 through 24 of Colossians chapter 3. I love this because this, if, if whatever you thought or are doing for the Lord or feel called to do for the Lord, if we haven't addressed it specifically in any of the others, guess what? This encapsulates it all. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Hallelujah. That captures everything. He says, whatever, and guess what? Whatever means whatever. It encapsulates anything that we do in the service to our Lord and for him on his behalf. That covers all 
and it covers everything. Hallelujah. And I want to end this session by looking at one final verse in 2 John, verse 8. It only has the one chapter. 2 John, verse 8 says this. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. John is telling us to be cautious, to look and be careful. Look to ourselves, because the goal is that we receive a full reward, a complete and abundant reward. In other words, John is saying here, I don't want to see you have regrets on that day because you've got things that burn up in the fire. I want to see you standing there with gold, silver, and precious stones. This is what he's saying here. And in order to do that, you got to look to yourselves. You've got to be careful. you got to be on watch. you got to check yourself with the Holy Spirit of God. Be like David that says, search my heart, O God, and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and remove it. it you know, you've got to be able to go to the Lord humbly and say, God, check my spirit. And if you're about to do some form of service to the Lord, make sure that your motives are right. Make sure you're not doing it for evil or abominable reasons. Make sure you're not doing it so that you can make money off of that thing. Make sure you're doing it as a pure act of service and obedience to the Lord. Make sure you're doing it willingly. Look to yourselves. Because John is saying here, I want every one of you to come away on that day with gold, silver, and precious stones that have endured the fire. And just like Jesus said, in John's gospel that John records for us in John 15, 16, fruit that remains. May we all take John's words to heart and look to ourselves so that our fruit will remain to the praise and honor of the great God that we serve and who has saved us and made us a part of his wonderful family. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us for future lessons in our Beaming at the Bema series. God bless you today in Jesus' name.